This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Um, so listen to this, listen to this, um, that was a compliment, I don't think you realized it, but okay, anyway. He says the following. We see that the Torah praises the Imahos, right? Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, they were all very beautiful. Like it says by Sarimeno, like it says by Rivka, the Hanara, Toivas Mara she looked really great. Why is the Torah describing how women look? Like, it doesn't make sense, right? Like, super beautiful, This is very interesting because everyone thinks that Leah was not beautiful. Because the Torah says her her were rakos, her, her eyes were swollen. So everyone thinks, oh, Rachel was the beauty, and Leah was not the beauty. No. So he says from the Rajbam, because of our Rajbam, she perusha she rakos who knows. The translation of rakos is beautiful. She had beautiful eyes. Shehayola enayim knows, and and that she had very beautiful eyes because of Chazal kala she enayim there's an interesting Gemara in Tainus, Daf Chof Dalit Oman Aleph. The Gemara says that a, that a kala, a, a bride, she'enea nice, that her eyes are beautiful, you can be sure that she's totally beautiful. It's a Gemara. Okay? Ein kol gufo tzvicha bedika. Vechein kosa bedaskein in bali toisvis. Zaskein in bali toisvis in ene leya rakos. Rakos miloshin rach v'toiv. Soft and good. Shahai said, Nearest Yafa Yafa. She looked beautiful because her eyes were beautiful. The nearest rock of the So what's going on over here? And then in Baba Basra, the Gemara, Dafnun Ches Oman Aleph makes a statement. Every woman compared to Sarah in the times of Sarah, Hakobit Me Sarah. Every woman compared to Sarah, kikayf b'nei adam, is like a monkey compared to a human. In other words, that no one's even in the same league as Sarimenu. Sarah b'nei chava and Sarah compared to chava, kikayf b'nei adam is like a monkey compared to a human. So, as beautiful as Sarah was compared to the world, she wasn't anything. Compared to Chava. Does anyone in this room have a reason for that? Come on, girls. Wake up. What? No. Come on. Why? If, if Sari Mena was the most beautiful woman in the world, compared to Chava, she was a monkey. No, because Hashem created her with his own hands. She didn't come from a human being. But, and then Hashem took that limb and he created Chava. Chava did not have, an, have a belly button. She didn't have an umbilical cord. She was created by a So she had, she, she didn't have parents' DNA. He created her directly. And the Gemara Megillah says, The four most beautiful women were Sarah, Rochav, Abigail, and Esther. Okay, there's a Machleikas. Some say that Esther was green. She had a green complexion. That's why she called Hadassah. Some said it's not green, but it's olive. Okay. Now, Lamaisa. Okay, you still didn't answer the question, Rabbi. Why do we need to know that they were beautiful? So on the bottom he says, B'taisvis, B'taisvis, M'sechtis Megillah, says, Amayla Choshev Chava, Why are you quoting and saying that sorry, Mena was the most beautiful woman in the world? It says that Chava was much more beautiful than her. So why? So, so the answer is, the, the Torah is talking about human beings that were created by human that was that came from human beings. Chava came from Hashem. He created with his own hand. So there's no uh, there's no what's it called? Now he asks. What, what, what do we gain 
What do we gain by knowing this? Why, why, you tell, why, why is the Torah telling us how beautiful they are? So he says, see if I have it inside, that the reason Kush Baruch Hu made them so beautiful was so that the tzaddikim should be protected from looking at anybody else. Okay, that's not really where I was going. Where I'm going is as following. This is very, very unbelievable. So we know Avram Avinu was traveling. He was very scared that the king would see Sarah and then he would he would kidnap her and kill him. So he told Sarah to say that, that she's his sister, right? Okay, so he says the following. In the Rav Yonison Ibshit says, the reason I'm quoting all the names is because I know I'm going to get a lot of phone calls like, where did you see that? Where did that come from, right? So I'm quoting all the names. Rav Yonison Ibshit says the following. In the, in the times of the, of the beginning of Avram and Yitzchak and Yaakov, when they used to go to war, they took their wives with them. They t- took their wives with them to war. Why? I don't know. But the Jewish people didn't. Because we have kol kvudu basmelech pnima. But the Goyim did. Okay? And when they went to war, they were scared that people would be looking at their wives. They would cover their face with black makeup. So they're, 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 they painted the women's faces totally black so you would never see their beauty. They didn't want the enemy to go after their wives. To, to make black their faces so nobody ought to see them. When the soldiers came home, they would wash, the women would wash their faces. And they would again look Beautiful. Says Rav Yonis and Ipshitz, Shibavadai, surely, Loimana Avram Avinu, Malasis, Tachbula, Zelos, Limshaykh Pne Ishte, Bitswashacha. If he didn't want his wife to be picked out by these Mitzrim, these lowlifes, he for sure painted her face black. For sure she was painted black so that nobody would see her beauty. Kideshia Niraj, Kibanaj Kushim, that she would look like a black girl. But we know that she was very beautiful. Because of her holiness of spirit, this, this is the whole point I wanted to get to tonight. That the, the beauty of your Kedusha and the, the beauty of your Chachma gives a light on your face that even if your face is painted black, there's a beauty that comes off your face that other people can see. Sari Imenu was very holy, so even though Ram Avinu thought that he's going to paint your face, and that way no one's going to be able to tell, because she had a Ruach HaKodesh, and because Havak Oira Mitoich Tseva HaShochar, the light of her face went through the, the makeup that was black. And she looked very beautiful, even though her face, her face was black. So it backfired on Avram Avinu. Because Paro's Avadim servants, they saw a woman with paint on her face that was black, and she was still beautiful? They never saw that before. It didn't make sense to them. So the Pasik says, Vayiru Ata Sore Paro, the 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 Avadim of Paro saw, by Yahalalu Oisa El Paro. And they praised her to Paro. What did they, what does that mean they praised her? They said, This girl is painted black her face, and she's still giving off a light. This is not normal. So they praised that to Paro. And what happened? Behind the story, right? It's not believable. That's why they took her. Well, backfire on Avram. He wanted to hide her beauty. And they said, oh my gosh, this woman has beauty. Doesn't make sense. There's a light coming from her face. What was her beauty? What's a Jewish woman's beauty? Her Kedusha. 
her holiness, not the makeup, her nose. That, that's not a Jewish woman's kedusha. And so therefore you could, you could get dressed very, very tznius and cover the total goof. But a woman who's kadosh, the light's going to come out anyway. People think, oh, yeah, I'm going to wear this, I'm going to wear that. A little bit, reveal a little bit more. People are going to look at me, I'm going to be attractive. Attracted by a Jewish woman, the, the, the stupid Mitzrim, the low-life Mitzrim, saw that there was Kedusha in this Jewish woman, and we ourselves don't see, our, we don't see it. We're busy trying to do the opposite. Not to darken our physical looks, but to make it very attractive. I'm not saying you shouldn't be attractive. The Gemara says you should, there's, a, there's, a, there's a Kedusha and there's a Sneastic way to, to be attractive. Woman's supposed to be attractive. That's, that's, that's part of being a woman. But it has to be in a sneer stick away. So you see here, it backfired on Abraham. They're like, this is not normal. Look what, there's a light coming from her. Now, I want to tell you two unbelievable devotees you could say at the table Shabbos, and they, you're going to blow them away. So you think, okay, sorry, Menu, it's very nice, Kedusha. Okay, so, so what came from that? Look, she got into trouble. Ray Wallenstein, what are you telling us? You're telling us that she was at Snua. You're telling that he blackened her face. What happened? Paro kidnapped her. And he took her to... I would think that if you're at Snua, think a person, a good person, Hashem's going to protect you. And the opposite happened. They took her prisoner and they put her into Paro's harem. Well, that's not good. So what good came out of this? So listen to this. And... and Two things you need to know. One of that, in Lech Lecha, and one in Vayera. So I'm going to tell you what came out of this. Yosef HaTzadik, Yosef HaTzadik, became the ruler of Mitzrayim, second to the ruler, saved the world, saved his brothers, but there was a law in Egypt. And the law in Egypt was that no slave or regular person, you had to be blue blood, you had to be from being a king or a queen or a prince. No slave, no outsider could become anything in, the malucha is still the same way in, in the Arab lands, can become in the malucha, in the kingdom of Mitzrayim. So, Yosef explained the dream, Paro wanted to make him second to the king, and everybody said, but he's a slave. He was sold as a slave. He was bought as a slave. So it's very nice that he, he did your dream. But according to your rules, Paro, this Jew cannot be a king. Listen to this. Because Paro took... And, and, and this is... I'm going to tell you something that happened this week. Remind me to tell you about a time. So, so Paro, because he took Sarah, kosh of chidish niflam in the Ramban... Sesara imenu haisu bebeis paro, meshach shisha chadoshim. Sarah was in the palace of Paro for six months. Vahaisa oz malka bimitzrayim. And Paro made Sarah the queen of Egypt. Ulaacha shisha chadoshim. After six months. Nisgaga paro benigam. He got, the, they all got very sick and they got plagued. And balkarcha hechzer esor lavram avinu. And he had no choice, so he gave Sarah back to Avraham Avinu. Says Rav Yenis because Paro made her the queen, he made Avraham Mishnah Lamelech. Oh, you're the brother? So he made her, he made him second. He didn't know that Avraham Avinu was the, was the husband until he got the nega after six months. So he thought, wow, she's my queen, the brother of the queen. Who is the brother? The brother of the queen becomes number two to the king. So he made a mission of and Eretz Mitzrayim. Okay, fine. What happens? What happens is, when all the Egyptians came to Paro, and they said that he's a slave, and he doesn't come from blue blood, he said, what's that painting of my great-grandmother in the palace? There was a painting of Queen Sarah when she became queen. He says, that's my great-grandmother. I come from Malchus. My great-grandmother was the queen of Egypt. So I come from Malchus. 
So that was because he came from Sarah. And Sarah was captured and put in and became queen of Egypt. He was able to become second to the king, able to save the world, able to save the Jews, all because it looks like the worst thing happened. What do you mean? I'm Tznius. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Look what happens. I get chosen to be in the harem of the lowest man in the world. That's how you reward me? No, you had to become queen. Because you became queen. When Yosef came down and they said he's an Eved, they said no, his great-grandmother was a queen and therefore he's from royalty. If he's from royalty, he can become the king. We so don't understand when we go through stuff and it doesn't make sense. And it's like, I'm trying to do the right thing. Why are you doing this? We so don't understand Akashvahu's plan. You see from here, the only way Yosef could become king was because Sarimena was captured. Even though she blackened her face and they were able to see through the light. And that's what he says here. In the laws of Mitzrayim, it said, A king can't, uh, uh, an can't be a king. And he can't wear royal clothes. Right? But since Sarah Malka of Avrami, Mishnah Lemelech, therefore he came from Zerah Malchus, he came from royalty, and therefore he could become who he became. So I spoke in the five towns um, for an organization, an amazing organization called A-Time. A-Time, I have to say that a few years ago, um, they invited me to a Shabbaton, and Eight time works with infertility, people who don't have children. And the rabbi called me up and said, listen, Rabbi Wallstein, we want you to come to the Shabbaton, and we want you to give chizik. But I need to tell you two things. Number one, you cannot speak in your speeches anything about chinuch. We know that you talk about children and bringing up children. These are people who are married 10, 12 years. They don't, you cannot get up and start talking about children. So you need to have in your head no chinuch, which knocked off 90% of my speeches, right? I had to come up with something new. This is number two, you have to realize that there's not going to be any kids running around. It's a little different. So I was like very um, scared that I would fall on my face because I never did that before. And we came, we came, I came with my wife and we came to the Shabbaton. There's 250 couples and there's no kids. And I don't know what to talk about because I always talk about chinuch and iPhones and, and, you know, be with your kids while you're on your iPhone. I, I can't say that there. I have to tell you, it was the, the most amazing Shabbaton that I ever had in my life. No sadness, no walking around with your heads down, belief in HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Amuna and dancing and a Malava Malka and music and Friday night and Zmiris and singing, the women getting dressed and beauty and just, it was just an amazing Shabbos. I didn't speak. No. I spoke. I'll tell you what I spoke about. And I spoke about it again this, in Queens. So, first I got up. I said, listen, I'm a client. I give everyone a bracha that next year at this time, you shouldn't be here. And I have to tell you, not because of my bracha, but a lot of those people had children since then. I got a lot of emails that Baruch Hashem after that. Whatever. Not because of me. Just, just Simcha, the keili, the keili of coming out of your depression and your anxiety, the biggest keili is Simcha. And the problem that, uh, that the world has, that no, everyone's on anxiety medicine, and every kid's on anxiety because no one's happy. If you're happy, you're not anxious. You're not. When you're dancing at a wedding, you're not anxious. You're not, you're not having, unless you have a social anxiety problem, but you're not having, you're not having anxiety. A person, the keili to fight depression and to fight anxiety is simcha. And atzvis, which is depression and sadness, is a kayach that the Yetzirah uses, and we see that even Yaakov Avinu, who's bigger than anyone in this room, could not have Ruach HaKodesh as long as he was sad. So the 21 years that he didn't have Yosef, he got no Ruach HaKodesh. Yaakov. Why can't Yaakov just say, Gamzul Toivo! Hashem never gives you a test you can't pass! Right? Yaakov Avinu? Yaakov Avinu was in pain. You're allowed to be in pain. We're human. Even though people don't think you're human. We're human. So anyway... So when I get up there and speak about it, I spoke about bitachon. That's all I spoke about. Bitachon, happiness, you got to believe anything can happen, never give up. That's it. Which is also one of my... Ruth, with all respect, the first thing they told me is don't get up and give schoolers. 
because all these people went to Amuka, they're wearing a silver hay, they went to this rub, they sat on the, the where they give the bris, they sat on the chair, they're Wallstein, don't give schools. So I didn't, I didn't go there. Because well, a lot of them have tried all this stuff. That, yeah, sure, sure. There's a lot, there's a lot of, the biggest school that my father said, Dhamma Tarshan. That's the biggest school. The other things work, don't get me wrong. But anyway, so, so a time, it was an amazing Shabbos. It was, everybody was a besimcha. It was like, I walked away from that Shabbos with chizik. I was scared I was going to walk away depressed. I walked away with unbelievable chizik. Anyway, I didn't have kids right away, so I knew a little bit of, it wasn't 12 years, but it was a few years, so I knew a little bit of what it feels like. Everyone else of my friends had kids right away, and I didn't, and every month, you, you know, it's like Marish Tishabov and whatever. It's, it's. So I went there that time because I, I, had, I knew a little bit of it. Anyway, so they just had in Queens, they have a new part of their, of A-Time has a new division called Hug. It's a new division called Hug. What is Hug for? Hug is specifically for people who have never had a, a stillborn, right? In the ninth month, a child died, was born not alive, or miscarriages, and, and women who go through that don't have anyone to talk to because never someone loses a child. So people come and talk. The Rebbe say he was a great kid, he was a smart kid, he was my child's friend, he helped them. You're talking about the person's life until that point. But on a stillborn, what are you talking about? The person didn't live yet. And a miscarriage has nothing to talk about. So she said, so they realized at a time that there's no support. So you're just in your pain, and there's no one to talk to. There's no shiva. No one's coming to tell you, that baby saved my life. He was a great friend. It's the most painful thing because there's no past. So these people who are the most amazing feeling people said, you know what? We're going to open an organization for people who go through that because there's, there's no one that talks to anyone about it. It's a very lonely place. Okay, so I'm familiar with the feeling. I'll just say that. Okay, so I said, I'm there. You want me to talk? I'm there. So I want to tell you what I told them. And it's very connected to what, what we just learned. I said, number one, don't think that it's a lack of belief in Hashem if it hurts. Don't let anyone tell you, just believe in Hashem and you should not be in pain. It hurts. And my riot to that is Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu lost his Ruach HaKodesh because it hurt. Aaron HaKohen, when his two sons died in front of him, it says, Vayidom Aaron, and Aaron was silent. He didn't dance and say, Min Hashemayim. But Vayidom, silent, over there does not mean a lack of saying, a lack of saying anything. Vayidom is a verb. He was in pain and he controlled it and he didn't, he was quiet. He had to work on it. It doesn't say that, that, that Aaron HaKoyim was not in pain. It doesn't say that Yaakov Avinu was not in pain. So, I know that a lot of people, when they go through something painful or traumatic, they feel that if I was religious and if I had a muna, I wouldn't be in pain. So like Hashem, I'm in pain, that's a bad thing. And you start to beat yourself up, especially women who beat themselves up for everything. They beat themselves up for feeling pain. I shouldn't be feeling pain. But Yaakov Avinu, Yaakov Avinu felt pain. So you can't get up and tell someone you shouldn't feel pain. It's ridiculous. Go to Shiva and say, like, she's in a better place. People don't want to hear that, she's in a better place. A better place is at the table, on my kitchen table with me. Ganeiden, she can do that after 120. You have to do that now at 17 years old. Lost a lot of kids in the last couple of weeks to, to, to drugs. A lot of kids, all over the place. Florida, California, all over the place. It's, it's not normal what's going on in our world. It's not normal. And you can tell a parent, oh, she's not suffering anymore, she's in... I'd rather she, that she's at my table. At 120, she can go to a better place. You have to be very careful what comes out of your mouth. You can't tell someone else, I know how you feel. You do not know how they feel. Nobody in this room, nobody in this world can know how another person feels. If I take a needle and stick it in my finger, you might say, ow, that, that hurt him. But your finger's not hurting you. Unless we're connected in a crazy way. In a crazy way. And your finger's not hurting the way my finger hurts. 
because your finger, you're a female, it's a little bit softer. My finger, I play ball in my life, so it's a little bit more callous. So even me sticking the needle in, and you would stick a needle into your finger at the same time, we don't have the same pain. So never tell someone, I feel your pain. It's ridiculous, and it doesn't make the other person feel better. You feel my pain, so now you're, you're hurting also because of me? Another whack on the head. Like, it's not bad enough that I'm hurting, now you're hurting because of me, so I hurt you, and it's a couple more hours of therapy. So, you don't go to someone and say, I feel your pain. I feel that you're in pain. I know that you're in pain. That also, but you can say that. I, if I stick a needle in my finger, you're going to be saying, wow, that hurt you, Rabbi. That's fear. You can't know, you cannot feel someone else's pain. I've said this story many times, and it taught me a crazy lesson. And the reason I went to eight time to speak this week is because I've been there. So I, I do know, I don't know what their pain is, but Baruch Hashem, I have children. It's very different. If you have children and you have a miscarriage, or you don't have any children and you have a miscarriage. So I can't, I know a little bit, but no, I have children. So whatever, the room was full of pain. So many years ago in, on the West Coast, I was asked to talk to a bunch of orphans, a bunch of uh, uh, girls that were, had lost parents. Uh, at the, in the West Coast, there were some very bad accidents over two years, and there were some people that died, and, and they, they left orphans. So I was there to talk, whatever it is. So they said, hey, Wallstein, could you talk to some girls that are, what age? Six to 16. I said, okay, before I catch the red eye, get them at 5.30, I'll go talk to these kids. So I went to someone's house, and they had a bunch of chairs in the semicircle, they had some snack in the kitchen, whatever. I thought they'd be like five kids. It was 23 kids. 23 assignments. I walked into that room, I was like, and some really little ones. Okay? I sat down, and I think I gave one of the best speeches I ever gave in my life. I was in there, I was talking about Moshe Rabbeinu, and he was abandoned, and he was adopted, and then he couldn't talk, and he went through all, this, all these challenges, and he became Moshe Rabbeinu, and Yosef Atzadeh, they sold him, they threw him into a pit, then he was put in a jail, and like, trauma, 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 saved the world. Dovod Melech, his follower tried to kill him, his kids tried to kill him, his wife tried to kill him, everybody who saw him tried to kill him, right? They called him a mamzer, they threw him into Beis Lechem, he had the worst life. I'm like, look what he became. Dabr HaMelech, Yosef HaTzadik, Moshe Rabbeinu. I was like, I'm fire. And it was good. I, you know, I know when I'm good. I know when I'm not good. The energy was in the room. I was good. Hashem was giving me the right words and these kids were sitting there and they were like, and there were some parents, you know, single parents that were there and they were like, every, everybody was happy. I was happy. It, it was good. I don't want to go get on my plane and I gave these orphans chizuk. And this little teeny girl sitting right in front of me. Every time I say this story, I see her. This little kid with these big brown eyes and braids looks up at me and says, at the end I said, if anyone has any questions, I'd love to answer your questions. This little kid looks up at me. Rabbi Wallerstein? I'm like, what's your name? She goes, Dvairi. Cutest thing in the world. I'm like, Dvairi, you're so cute. She goes, thank you, Rabbi Wallerstein. I'm like, what's your question? She says, did you have a mommy when you were seven? She asked me. My heart went into my shoe because she was seven. I knew exactly what she was asking me. And I said, oh, the rooster's here. Anyway, so I have them on my farm. So I want to tape them. So I said, um, yeah, I, I had a mommy when I was seven. And she looks up at me and she says, do you still have a mommy? I said, yeah, Baruch Hashem, I still have a mommy. And she goes, oh. I'm like, you don't know my mother. What kind of reaction was that? I don't know, whatever. <laughs> she got up, walked into the kitchen. All the little kids followed her. The, the teenagers that were there, some 16, 14, they're like, okay, Rabbi Wazni was great. It was really nice. We got to go do our homework. Within two minutes, I lost everything. There wasn't a kid in the room. They were eating. They were gone. My whole speech, my whole chizik, right out the door. Because you're not one of us. You don't understand. I don't got my mommy. I don't care about Mushrebenu. Don't give me no stories. Tell me I can be Rabbi Wallstein, even though he has no mommy since he's five. That's what I want to hear. I want to meet someone that went through the hell that I went through and became somebody. I lost them all. I sat on that plane. I was like, I am never 
talking to a crowd about something that I didn't experience. I said, over, I'm not doing this again. Came home, red eye, I went straight to my mother. My father already had passed away. I went straight to my mother's apartment. I said, hi, Ma. She said, hi. How was your trip? I was like, great, I need to talk to you. She goes, what did you do? She's used to that. What did you do? So who told you I did something? She said, why are you here so early? I said, Ma, I came to ask you mechila. I came to ask you forgiveness. So what did you do? I said, Ma, what I'm about to tell you, you're not going to believe. And I promise you, I didn't mean it. When this little girl, I told her the story, I said, when this little girl asked me if I had a mommy when I was seven, in my heart, I wish you would have died at childbirth. Because if I could have told her, seven, you're so lucky you had a mommy till seven. I didn't have a mommy since I was one. This kid would have jumped up and said, yes, he's one of us. I can be like him. I can be better than him. I said, Ma, I had this terrible thought. I love you and I didn't want you to die. But for her, I wanted you to die. She said, you're sugar." It's not the first time. I said, no, Ma, it gets worse. Then she asked me if you're still alive. I was like, for sure, you can't be still alive. Because that, that really destroyed her. My mother looked at me and she says, I said, Ma, just be my homie. Of course she was my homie. She loves me. I love her. We love each other. I see her every day. I want to live long, so I go visit my mother. I'm selfish, not for her, it's for me. No one knows that. You want to live long? Go visit your mother. Not for them, that they should live long. For you, that you should live long. Why? Rabbi Gamliel says, it's not only that you're going to live long, it's going to make them live long. Why? Because if you're doing a mitzvah, give it a name, Hashem doesn't want to take a mitzvah away from you. So if, the, she, if no one's giving them kibbutz of aim and no one's respecting the parents, Hashem's like, okay, if I take them to the next world and they die, no one's losing a mitzvah, no one's visiting them anyway. But if every single day you do kibbutz of aim, Hashem's not going to take the mitzvah away from you. Ooh, my Rebbe. Oh, he talks about it all the time. So you want your, your parents to live? Give them respect because you're going to get the mitzvah. He says it's the only mitzvah that leaves. Every mitzvah in the Torah, a person's parents are supposed to die during your lifetime. That's, na- that's natural. That's how Hashem created us, that your parents, at one point, you'll be 120, they're not going to be here anymore. They'll be 140, right? The way He created us in our machine, in our genetics, in our souls, is that, yes, we will lose our parents during our lifetime. Not that we're going to lose a child, but that we're going to lose our parents during a lifetime. So, as long as you're doing the mitzvah, it's a mitzvah that's going to be lost. At some point, it's going to be lost, everybody. At some point, you're not going to be able to do Kibbutz of Aim anymore. What are you waiting for? Don't you want them to live long? So, so if you're doing Kibbutz of Aim, Hashem's going to be like, why am I going to take a mitzvah away from them? But if they're not getting Kibbutz of Aim anyway, so Hashem's not taking a mitzvah away from anyone. So you're going to live long, they're going to live long, and we're busy doing chesed for everyone else except our parents and our grandparents. We're busy with everybody else. So my brother, B'liayin Hara, we learn together every morning. He said, Zechariah, why don't we learn by mommy? Learning anyway, let's go learn by mommy. So every single morning, I learn with my brother by my mother. And she gives me a bracha before I leave. And I don't remind her of the story from California, ever. I'm like, Ma, I'm glad you're alive. Kibbutz of Aim is, this book is going to blow. It's coming out between Hanukkah and Purim. I don't know if, you, if, you, if, you're not, if you don't have Kibbutz of Aim, don't buy it. Because it's going to make you feel very guilty. But if you want to know how to do Kibbutz of Aim... I, I think it's going to be the book of, of, of the century. I'm writing a book a lesson a day on Kibbutz of Aim together with, with the rabbi that I wrote the other book with. And it's taking us much longer than we thought because it's so detailed and it's so deep and it's so important and you can't leave anything out. So if you have parents, you're lucky that you have a special mitzvah and you call them up tomorrow morning, and you tell them that you love them, and you go over, and you should go every day, and give them a hug and a kiss, and ask them, what can I do for you? Because as long as you're doing that mitzvah, Hashem doesn't want to take that mitzvah away from you. But if no one's doing that mitzvah, it's not in the cheshman. It's not in the cheshman of your parents' life. That's very, very important. It's a, Rebbe Gamliel is crazy about it. Crazy about it. 
his kibbutz of aim for his father. His mother died when he was very young. His kibbutz of aim for his father was unparalleled. Un, I don't think there was not a night that he didn't go, his, his father remarried. There was not a night that he did not go to his father's house. The way he treated his father was, I watched it. It was, it was not normal. So I went off subject a little bit tonight to go to kibbutz of aim. I don't know why. Because it wasn't my it wasn't my subject tonight, but I guess someone in this room, you know, needs to hear it. But so I was, I was talking about a subject that I wasn't part of, so I didn't know that little Devari's pain. She was like hoping that you know, he's one of us, so I could be like him, because he went through it. And look how he, you know, whatever. I don't know if she thought I turned out okay, but whatever. But so that that's why I always say that the stuff you go through is your backpack to help others, because I don't have a right to talk about drugs. I never did drugs. I don't talk about drugs. You never heard a shit from Rabbi Wallerstein on the subject marijuana, drugs, do drugs. Don't, I mean, of course, don't do drugs, but I don't talk about it because I don't know what it feels like. I don't know what that addiction feels like. I don't know what the feeling feels like, that the escape feeling. I never got drunk in my life. I never smoked pot. I never smoked a cigarette. So I don't talk about cigarettes. I don't talk about drugs. I talk about the stuff that I went through because I don't know the pain. I don't know the pain. I don't know the high. I don't know the low. I don't know the pain. So who am I to talk about it? I went to a, a one time to a to a drug rehab to speak, and it was the same problem. I went there, and, and I was all excited because it was the first drug rehab, and there were three Jewish girls and three Jewish boys there. And I was like, I'm going to go in there and tell them my stories, and that's it. They're going to give up their drugs because I'm going to tell them about Moshe Rabbeinu and Yosef Atzadi, Dovid HaMelech, and struggles and abuse and... And all that stuff, and uh, that's it, you know, they're going to get rid of their drugs, and, and I was very excited, I was invited to speak, they were paying me, but, okay. I walked in there, I'll never forget, I came out to the outside door, this guy met me, I thought he was a, a, a biker, a Jewish guy, but he was tall, with, with his beard and a rubber band, like Hell's Angels, and tattoos, and I, I couldn't tell he was even Jewish. And he's like, yeah, you're the rabbi that's coming to talk to us? I'm like, yeah, what's up? I want to be like one of the guys, I'm like, hey, what's up? He goes, hey man, how old are you? What a weird question. <laughs> when were you born? I'm like, why? Well, just tell me when you were born. So I'm going to give my age away now. I was born in 1957. 57, man, 57. Oh, my God! He got all excited. got all lit up. I'm like, what happened in 57? He says, no, man, you were a teenager in the 70s? Wow, did you do LSD? Like, what kind of stuff did you do? I did it. I said, um, well, um, I was a hockey player since I'm four, and um, he didn't really want to hear about that. And um, I, I, I didn't do any drugs. I had friends that did drugs, but I never did any drugs. I tried to make a joke. I, I, felt, I was scared. He was like, huge. I was like, you know, I, 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 you, you, some of you in this room, not, no, none of you, me and Ruth, a couple of us will remember this. There were aspirants called St. Joseph's, those little pink ones. Right? So I thought I was going to make a joke. I was, like, I was a little off the derech, because St. Joseph's is Christian. And that was the name of the aspirin. I said, I used to take St. Joseph's. He didn't know what I was talking about. He said, what's that? And I'm like, forget it. That's... So he says to me, so, so man, so you, you never did anything? I'm like, I'm like, no, I really don't. never did anything. This guy started cursing me with every four-letter word you ever, you blank, come here. You don't know our pain, man. You don't know anything about addiction. You don't know whatever he was talking. He went through. He was like, I thought he was going to crush me. Get the blank out of here. We don't want to talk to you. We don't want you. I was like, uh, I'm gone. Bye. I'm going to go home. I'm going to do every drug. I'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> he didn't think it was funny. So I went upstairs to the guy who hired me. I said, no, can do. I am not going in that room. I'm not. And they're like, no. He has to control himself. You're Rabbi Wallerstein. You go in that room. You're going to talk to the kids. I'm like, no, I'm not talking to them. I'm not scared of him. I'm not talking because I don't know what, they, what they're going through. I, I, I never went through it. So this guy was like, I hired you. I'm like, listen, when I grew up where I grew up, there was one guy, one of my friends. We called him the chemist. All he did was drugs all day. My chemistry set that I had at home, my mother would lock up when he'd come to my house. Because he would just mix stuff and stick it up his nose. and do. Th- he, was, he was a real drug addict. He was in a coma three times. And in those days, they didn't have the paddles. They didn't have any of this stuff. Mamish, mice, and nisim, that he lived, that he was alive. And then he straightened out. He was doing heroin. And most of the time, you can't get out of that. He straightened out. He became very wealthy. 
and he's not allowed to talk about drugs. His therapist feels the opposite. Don't go, like, some people think you should talk about it to other people. If you're going to talk about it, it's going to remind you, and you're going to relapse. So his therapist went the other way. You're not a drug addict. You were a drug addict. You have a new life. You have a new wife. You have children. You are not talking about it, because I wanted him to go around and help me, you know. Okay. Anyway, I called him up, because now I was in a, I was in a spot, and was, these, these Jewish kids were there, and I wanted to help them. And I called him, I'll call him Chaim. His name is not Chaim. Say, Chaim, what's up? Hey, Zach, what's going on? What's happening? I'm like, I need a favor. Yeah, whatever you want. I'm like, I was just in a rehab. He goes, no. He didn't say anything. He says, no, absolutely not. I'm like, let me finish. I was just in a rehab. I met this guy, and he's cursed me, and he's screaming at me because I don't know the feeling, the whole thing of, you know, going through it and the high and the low and the pain. And I said, they need help. You can help them. He says, Zach, I told you, not allowed to talk about it. I did something. Hashem should forgive me. I took, I took a chance with his life. I shouldn't have. But I was on fire. I said to him, you know, you were in a coma three times. He says, I know. I said, and you know, in those days, we didn't have any. I said, why do you think Hashem gave you back your life? For these kids. Do you know why you're alive? For these kids. Because I can't help them and you can. And then I said something I really wasn't allowed to say. I said, and if you don't help them, you may not wake up tomorrow. Because if the whole reason Hashem gave you life was to help them, and here's your chance to do what you're here for and you don't, you just may not wake up because Hashem doesn't need you here anymore. And he's like, what did you say? This is my, one of my best friends. What did you say? Are you crazy? His wife, I guess, was there. She's screaming. What did you, how could you do that? He's your friend. You're putting his life in danger. How could you make a statement? Who do you think you are? You're a McCubbin. But once it came out of my mouth, I couldn't take it back. And she's like, now if something happens to him, it's my fault that I didn't let him go. And like, they started getting really crazy. I said, listen, I'm sorry I did that. I shouldn't have done that. It was wrong. It's sort of like a lawyer in, in, in court. You know, when they say something they're not, that the jury they're not allowed to say, and then the guy gets up and says, I object, and they say, objective sustain, sustained, but the, the jury heard what he said already. Too late, you can't take it back. So the lawyer knows he's not supposed to say it, and once he says it, they object, and they say sustain, but the jury heard already that the person fa- failed the lie detector test. You understand? So once I said it out of my mouth, he's worried he's not going to get up tomorrow morning. I said, do me a favor. I'm asking you for an hour. Just go there for an hour. I'm sorry I did this. I just, I just, I love these kids so much. I love Clive. You just, you just, an hour, I promise you, I will never call you again. Okay, he had no choice. He was scared he was going to die. So, he goes, to the, he goes to the rehab the next day. And he tells me what happened. He comes to the door. That big guy shows up again. He goes, oh, I heard the rabbi sent you. He goes, yeah. He says, like, when were you born? Same year, 57. He says, yeah, what? You played hockey? What, you play hockey? I play hockey? He says, I've never touched a hockey stick in my life. He said, I, was in a, I, I did every drug. And this Michigan friend of mine is telling this kid, who's a drug addict, all the stuff he used to mix. I'm like, Meshuggah, you gave him lessons in drugs? Like, that's why I sent you there? You crazy? And then he told him, and by the way, I almost died. I was in a coma three times. And this guy says, what? You were in a coma three times? Oh, my God. And he comes into the room where the kids are waiting for him. And this big guy says to them, everybody bow down. He's the guru. They were so excited that they had a guy that was in a coma three times and did all this stuff like, Oh my God, he's the drug addict, he's the, he's the all-star. He's in the drug addict hall of fame. He was in that room with them for five and a half hours. And two of those boys he hired to work for him. He came there, I told him how to go. He has a Rolex, uh, a Rolex watch that will probably hit the back room. He's very wealthy. So he came in a big Mercedes. I told him to bring a picture of his kids and his wife. His hair is slicked back. He wears canali suits. He's... Because of what he went through, like, the Chichanius is very big in his life, and he looks like a billion dollars. And like when he walked in, they're like, this guy was in a coma. I was never in a coma. I never got that bad. And, and look, he has a wife and kids. And this is that. 
we could do it too. He didn't have to give a speech. He didn't have to tell stories. He didn't have to talk about Moshe Rabbeinu and Dovod HaMelech and Yosef HaTzadik. He was in a coma and he's here. Kids, money, car, wife. I can do this. He can do it. I can do it. And he left and he hired these two guys. I think they still might work for him. And he said to me, don't you ever. I said, but look, you saved them. You, you got to go into this. He says, don't you ever do this again. I said, you got it. I'm not going to do it again. And I hope you live till 120. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't experience it. I, I can't talk about it if I didn't experience it. And I realized that. Don't, don't tell people stuff. They should be, you can get over it, be strong. You can handle it. If you didn't go through it, shut up. Because they're going to say, you went through what I went through. What are you telling me to be strong? You were strong? I don't want to hear it. So I came to a time. I said to them, I know a little bit what you feel like. I don't, I can't, I know what I felt like. I said, I can't tell you not to feel pain, but I need one, one thing you do need to know. And if you know that, it will get you through any trauma or any pain, even though you're in pain. What is that? No, there's a plan. You didn't lose that child. You didn't lose that parent. You didn't do drugs. You didn't get molested. You didn't get hurt. For It didn't because you're not lucky. Or it's just something that happened to you randomly. That's an atheist and that's a miserable life to think that I just went through trauma and there's no reason for it. I lost somebody for no reason. I had a miscarriage for no reason. How could you live with that? How can you be an atheist and live with that? There's a reason. There's a plan. I have no idea what it is. But at least I know there's a reason. Does it still hurt? It still hurts. But it takes the edge off. So I got up. I said, I am not telling you to be happy. I'm not telling you not to be in pain. But I do want to tell you something. There's a plan. There's a plan for Sarah Imenu to be captured by a mitzri and put in a harem because she had to become the queen of Egypt so that many years later, the people who were against Yosef Atzadah who said he can't be a king, they had nothing to say because there was a picture. It says it was a picture. It's brought down Chazal. There was a painting of Sarah Imenu because every queen had a painting in, in the castle. His, he walked into the castle and his great-grandmother's on the wall. You don't think they gave Yosef a chizik that he's in a strange castle and Sari Imenu, his great-grandmother, is on the wall? She's been here too? And she made it out, I'm going to make it out. But when Sari Imenu was taken to the castle, you think she was happy? As long as you know, you need to know that there's a plan. It's not going to take away all the pain, but at least it gives a reason for the pain. What is that plan? Moshe Abenu asked Hashem, Hashem said, you want to know my plan, you got to see from creation till the end. i got to take the whole world apart in front of you. Because the plan is not a 100-year plan or a 200-year plan. It's a plan from creation till the end. Which brings me, and we'll end with this, it brings me to this week's parsha. From this week's parsha, the three angels come to visit Avraham Avinu. And when they come to Avraham Avinu, he, right away, get the food, get this, get that, says, Vayomru Elav, the angel said to Abraham Avinu, ah, Yishmael is bringing out food, Abraham Avinu is bringing out food, Ayei, Sarah Ishtacha. Where's your wife? Like, where's the woman of the house? Like, she should be bringing out the food. And Abraham Avinu paskin the halacha. He said, no. Jewish wives, they don't belong serving strangers. ba'ohel. She's in the Ohel. She's in the house. Ramavinu Paskin, that you're supposed to do chesed and you're supposed to serve people food, but the woman is not supposed to be serving strange men food. They're going to start a conversation. They're going to start looking at her. Who knows? They might kill him to get her. No. These three Arabs, you're not going to see my wife. My wife's in, in the Ohel. You want food? We'll bring you food. What came out of that, what came out of that little comment of Vihine Ba'ohel, you know what came out of Vihine Ba'ohel? Mashiach. Right, what are you talking about? Mashiach come. Where does he come into this picture? 
So listen carefully. Rus, right? Dawud HaMelech came from Rus. Mashiach comes from Dawud HaMelech. The Torah says that we're not allowed to marry people from Moab. We learn that it means you're not allowed to, a Jewish woman can't marry a man from Moab. Moaviv alo Moaviyah. But you could marry a woman from Moab. Why? If the reason the Torah says we're not allowed to marry from Moab is that we came by Moab, we were hungry, and we were thirsty, and we asked for food, and they said no, and Hashem said, I don't want that DNA of Hakafot. Moab comes from Lot. Who saved Lot in the last week's passion, the king, five kings against the four kings? Who saved Lot? Avraham Avinu. So the Jews saved your grandfather. So now we're coming to you for food, and you don't have a Hakafotov? Hashem said, I don't want that. I don't want in my nation DNA of a Hakafotov. So no, you can't marry Moavim. But why are you allowed to marry a Moaviyah? The reason you're allowed to marry a Moaviyah is because Avraham Avinu Paskin that a woman is not supposed to serve the men. And therefore, the men of Moab were punished that they can't marry into the Jews because they should have given us food. But Avraham Avinu said the women are not supposed to give you food. So because they, they're not supposed to give you food, they didn't do anything wrong. If they didn't do anything wrong... You're allowed to have a Moavi woman marry a Jew. So because Sarah was in the Ohel, because Avraham Avinu passed in the Halacha, that you have to be in the Ohel, that gave the ability of Rus, who came from Moab, to become a Jew, to marry Boaz, to have and Mashiach. Where did that come from? Because that's Snius, that's Snua. In my book that I'm writing on DNA, it is the most amazing DNA of all DNAs. The Moavi women were the most immoral, I don't want to use the word here, they came down, dressed, not dressed, to the Jewish nation, and they were the most immoral women, they were Zionists, and 24,000 Jewish men died in Pasha's Balak because these immoral women came down and did crazy things with the Jewish men. So we lost 24,000. So immorality, women's immorality, is in Moab. Moavi women are immoral, provocative, immoral people. And the Jewish nation hated them. We lost 24,000 men. We and Moab don't mix. Why did Boaz, why did Boaz know that Rus was different? Because all the girls were, bend, were about bending down to pick up the wheat, and she was curtsying. So she didn't bend over, she was curtsying. He said, who is this girl? She's more modest than my Jewish girls. And they said, it's that Moavia girl. That doesn't make sense. If she comes from Moab, she's a lowlife. But since the only reason that Rus was accepted by the Jews is because she came, because of Sarimenu, so her, when she became a Gare, you get a soul. So Sarimenu, the only reason that we're allowed to marry a, a, a woman from Moab is because Sarimenu was a Tznua. So that Mida of Tznua came into Rus, because the only reason Rus was allowed to marry was because Sari Menu. And that's why, even though she came from Moab, she ended up being a Tznua, which wasn't their DNA. But she had the DNA, spiritual DNA, of Sarah. Because of Sarah, she was able to marry and be able to have a child and be able to have Dawud HaMelech. Which answers a very big question on this week's Pasha. We know that a Malach can only do one mission. He's sent to the world, he does his mission, he goes back. So how could it be that in this week's Pasha, Three angels came to do four jobs. One job was to tell Sarah and Avram they're going to have a child. One job was to heal Avram Avinu from the bris milah. One job was to destroy Sodom. And one job was to save Lot. You had three angels doing four jobs. Can't, that can't be. An angel can't leave Shemayim with two jobs. So how could you have three angels doing four jobs? So one rabbi answers that healing Avram... And saving Lot, it's sort of the same job. Healing and saving, it was Malach Rafal. That's what one rabbi says. But according to this, when the three angels came down, right? When the three angels came down, there was no reason to save Lot. The whole reason Lot was saved from Sodom was because who came out of Lot? Moab. Who came out of Moab? Rus. 
But until Avraham Avinu paskind that a woman's supposed to be in the Ohel, there is no Rus, because we're not allowed to marry a Moavia. The only reason there's a Rus is because they paskind. But that was already after they did the job of, te- of healing Avram and telling them that they're going to have a child. So this new, he wasn't sent down. He wasn't sent down to save Lot. There's no reason to save Lot. But once Avram Avinu paskin that a woman, Jewish woman has to be a Tznua, now Rus, who came from Lot, can marry a Jew, and then when Amel can come out, oh, now there's a reason. Now there's a reason to save Lot. So that mission wasn't given when he left Shemayim. That mission was given in Avram Avinu's house. So he didn't, they didn't leave with four missions. They left with three missions. Lot was not supposed to be, he was supposed to die in Sodom. Now that he said, oh, that, that, she, he named, oh well, oh, then she's at Snua. Oh, then we can marry Moab. Oh, then Rus can be, can be, be the, the mother of Dabana, the grandmother of Dabana Melech, and Mashiach can come. New mission, go save Lot. It wasn't the mission that he left Shemayim with. So it was all tied in, ladies, to one thing. Tznius. It's all tied into one thing. The whole Rus, Dabar Melech, Mashiach, comes from a statement that Avram said about his wife. My wife is not running around with the guys giving you food. My wife is at Snua. And because she's at Snua, she has this light, as, as he brings down from before, that even though she was traveling, her face was blackened, they saw something that we don't, uh, that you guys don't see on yourselves. They saw a light from Kedusha coming from her. These Goyim saw Ruach HaKodesh, Chachma, Snias, as a light, as a beauty, and they came to the king and said, doesn't make sense. Her face is veiled, it's black. She's traveling. Something about this girl is different. And that's why Yosef ended up saving the world. So going back to what I said to A-Time, is just have to know there's a plan. There was a plan that he said he neighbor Ohel that led Rus bring Mashiach to the world. There was a plan that Sarimenu was taken captive for six months, that she should be a queen so that Yosef could save the world. Was Yosef in pain? Yosef was in pain. Was Sarah in pain? She didn't have children for 90 years. Sarah was in pain. She even laughed when she was told that she's going to have a child. But there was a plan. And when Yosef came down to Mitzrayim, that's what gave him the Koyach. Because the Arabs that took him down to Mitzrayim used to carry tar. And tar stinks. And the Pusik says that for some reason, on this trip to Mitzrayim, they were carrying spices. And Charlie, talk, Charlie Harari talks about this all the time. You can imagine that he's sitting there, he's left his family, he's being sold to Mitzrayim, he's a slave, he doesn't know if he's going to live, and he turns around and he says, I'm in a, I'm in a wagon with spices. So I thought God had no plan. I thought God just gave up on me and God said, no, I'm here. Where am I? I'm in the spices. Really, you should be in a tar caravan. But I'm in the spices. So even though you're in pain, I got a plan. If I put spices in your wagon instead of tar, I'm here. And if I'm here, I have a plan. You know what, Yosef? I have a plan. Yosef didn't know the plan that he would save the world. But he knew there was a plan. And that gave him the power to become an Ishmatzliach. And that's what we all need to know. No matter what we're going through, I'm not telling you not to feel pain. We're human. Yaakov Avinu felt pain. But no, whatever you're going through, if you're not married and you're trying to get married, whatever it is, no. I'm not telling you it shouldn't hurt. You go out with a guy, you get all dressed up, he shows up, you know, in five seconds, like, oh my God, like, this is not going to work. And you have to sit there for four hours and listen to the guy talk about himself. Right? And I I don't want to do this anymore. There's a plan. Like everyone says, you're one closer. Oh, don't tell me I'm one closer. Make this one the right one. Don't, don't, don't tell people those things. You're one closer. I don't want to hear about one closer. Not one closer. The one. People say ridiculously, I want to be one closer. I have to go out another 20 times and get you another one closer. Put on your makeup again and, 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 and wait half an hour till the guy shows up and come down the steps and say, oh, I'm one closer. Look at this guy. Right? No. Just understand. There's a plan. I don't know why I'm going through this and it hurts and I'm, 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 I'm in pain and I'm struggling, but if you know there's a plan, it will give you the power to take the next step. Because as long as there's a plan, Hashem cares about me. I'm connected to Him and He loves me. If there's no plan and it's random, so what am I doing here? And that's what I said in eight time. There's a plan. I don't know the plan. I'm not telling you I understand the plan. I don't understand the plan. 
but there's a plan. In Mitzvah Shem, you all have children. In Mitzvah Shem, you all have Shiduchim. You all have whatever you need. When, how, where, it's in the plan. I'm not God. That's for sure. But know that there's a plan. If you know there's a plan, you'll be able to pick up your head in any situation and continue. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.